welcome everyone um, to another week. Super excited to, to share with you guys. There's lots of Bible today. So if you have a physical Bible, if you have a phone Bible, just pull it out and we'll follow along together. Um, and we'll kind of kick off. So today we're doing John 13. It's a continuation of our series that we're doing. And today the title is The Servant's Heart, which is Jesus. So a bit of context in regards of what's happening as we pull up um, John 13. So this story and what's happening behind the scenes here is this is happening on a Thursday, a day before the death of Jesus on the cross, which happens on the Friday. So it's about 24 hours before he's going to get arrested early in the morning. Um, And at the very first verse, it tells us that this is the Passover feast. And you might be wondering, well, what's the Passover feast if you don't know what that is? It's a sort of a celebratory day um, where it's a remembrance of when in the Old Testament, the angel of death, death passed over the Israelites' homes, um, which had the blood of the lamb on the doorframe. So in this feast, God is being remembered um, as the savior, as the deliverer of the people of God. So what we have here in John chapter 13 through all the way to, to chapter 16. So those chapters combined together, are actually what's called the promises um, of God. And these promises of God are to God's disciples at that point. Um, but it's also a beautiful sort of combination of chapters because what happens is um, these promises of God, of some, some of which are you know, the Holy Spirit, uh, loving one another, salvation, and many other things, it's actually extended beyond the disciples themselves and into all Christians of all time. So this applies to us directly um, too. And then you have something in, um, in John chapter 17 where Jesus prays this awesome prayer. And it's actually proof um, that these promises extend beyond the disciples of the time and to every Christian um, later on down the track. So that's kind of to just set the scene for us to get a bit of understanding what's going on as we read this chapter. And we'll pick it up from verse 1. Follow it along with me. Now before the, the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So I'll just stop there before I, I continue on. But... What we're covering today, to to give us a bit of an idea of what we're covering, um, it's about Christ's love for us as his followers. And that this love is beyond anything we can actually comprehend as human beings. And just like he loved his people back then, he will continue to love his people, as we just read, all the way until the end. Um, He doesn't just love us as a combination. He loves you individually as well as collectively as a whole. So we're reading now from from verse 2 all the way until 20. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's brother, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have 
you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not, not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his, his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I, then your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now because it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So that's the story that we're covering today. And in this story, it's about the humility and love of Jesus. But a concept that we need to kind of understand as we get further into this is that in order for you to love, you must be humble. You simply can't love without being humble. You can orchestrate a sort of fake version of love, but you cannot genuinely, truly love without humbling yourself. Because our capacity to love is directly related to our capacity of humbling ourselves. And in this example, this is Jesus going low in humility. He's going low in a humble service. And we are also to be humble in that exact same regard and not to be puffed up for whatever reason. Because you see, a person who is prideful, arrogant and loves themselves is not worthy of representing Christ because their goal is themselves and is not God. The more interested you are in yourself, the less capacity you have to love other people. And you might be saying, well, there are non-Christian people out there who, who, who love with a, you know, a genuine capacity. And, and yes, I completely understand that non-Christian people um, have a capacity to love and care for those who love them. But the distinction between the love within a Christian and the love within a non-Christian is that we as Christians are commanded to love everyone that way, regardless of what someone might give me in return, I'm supposed to love regardless. It's an it's a unselfish love, and that is biblical love. But the same cannot be said about human love, because it's easy to love those who love us, right? But Jesus said this in Luke 6.32. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And then a few verses above in verse 27, he says, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. You see, human love is completely dependent on one's own happiness. It's self-centered in a lot of the time. But biblical love is completely dependent on the other person's own happiness, regardless of the cost, regardless of the sacrifice. And without that true biblical love that we just spoke about, there is no gospel. There is no uh, great commission because biblical love views life with an eternal perspective that goes beyond our day to day life. That this is not our home. It thinks of Christ more 
and it thinks of oneself less and less. Have you ever thought about, you know, the reason why the disciples who some were beheaded, some were stoned, some were hung upside down, some who were crucified, none of them actually never turned away from the faith or decided to keep the gospel just to themselves and protect the gospel and not go out into the world. None of them actually did that. But the reason why none of them did that is because they never focused on themselves. They realized that the gospel pointed towards God, not towards man. And a lot of the time, you know, we read stories like this and think, you know, they're absolutely great. And what a great example that is set out for us, which they truly are. But the question for us is, are we truly living out this love that Jesus showed? Because how can I love someone that is perhaps outside the church if I don't love someone who's inside the church? And you might say, well, Dave, that's difficult. Some people are just, you know, very annoying and difficult to deal with. How can I, you know, love them? And absolutely it is difficult. And a lot of the time it's supposed to be difficult. But in this example, as we kind of look into it deeper, Jesus leaves us without an excuse. What is our excuse? That the king and the creator of heaven would choose to empty himself and come to earth and be beaten and crucified. Philippians 2, 5 to 7 says this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. As I was kind of preparing for this, I didn't grasp the craziness of, of this particular verse. For, for God to empty himself, he emptied himself of all his rights towards deity to come in the form of man and be humbled to the obedience of the father, even death on a cross. For us to be qualified servants of Christ is to go low. You know, regardless of your status, your privilege, of anything else, we must go low. Whether you're a doctor, a manager, a factory worker, we must go low. And not to go low begrudgingly um, or being forced to do that, but actually gladly doing that and, and gladly surrendering to Christ. Because you see, I can go low if, if I go on a mission trip. You know, I'm serving people who need help and those who are in need. Or I can go low when I'm handing out homeless pack Homeless packs in the CBD to people who are less fortunate than myself. I can go low in, in those particular situations. Um, but is my life consistently going low for other people or is it only based on the occasions? We are servants everywhere we are as Christians. We are to get under people and lift those people up, not over them and feed off their own approval of us. Again, what's our excuse? And remember we said earlier, those who humble themselves more have more capacity of love. Well, that's the exact expression of that statement in that verse that we read. John fifteen thirteen tells us, Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. What Jesus in that verse is saying is that the greatest act of love is sacrifice. The greatest act of love is sacrifice. It's like when you see in those movies, you know, when a, when a child is in the middle of the street or crossing the street and a car's like coming about to hit this child and then 
the mother or the father come out of nowhere and push them to the side and they kind of take the hit, um, as we see a lot of the time in, in Hollywood. Um, and, and our sort of view of that parent is they're a hero. They're an awesome person. They did a great act. And that's the greatest um, expression of human love. It's sacrifice, as Jesus said. But you can only become that example once because you can only die once, right? And I used to think that dying for the gospel would have me gain some sort of like amazing favor in the eyes of God, that it made me like, it would make me something special in the eyes of God compared to everyone else, that God looked at that with, with a different sort of lens. Um, although that is a great expression of love to die for the gospel, it doesn't mean that I gain more favor in the eyes of God. And maybe the life of someone in this room perhaps might be asked of them in that particular way. But it's not likely to happen. But this is how exactly we are supposed to act when it comes to loving others. You know, we like to quote the verse of picking up your cross daily. But what is the actual meaning of that verse? Do we, do we kind of think about that? That even to the point of death, I value someone else higher than myself for their own salvation, for their own sake. It's all about getting under people and lifting them up. That expression of love should be how we live our daily lives, not just on occasion. That we are called to love one another. Um, and actually, we are, we are called to love one another and are given the capacity by God to do so. And the example of that within our daily lives is a willingness to even die for others. First John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Love assures us of our salvation as Christians. As I love people, I am certain in my own salvation because there is no fear of punishment. And that love is deposited by God into my life. It's not manufactured by any man or human. And not only does the world know us by our love, but we know our own condition before God by our love. 1 John 4, 19-20 says, We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. We cannot claim to be Christians if we don't love one another, the body of Christ. It's how we display our Christianity to the world, that the most devoted Christians, as we sort of like to call ourselves, are to love people. And now, going back to what we read at the very beginning, John 13... That was kind of a, a little bit of an intro, as to say, in regards to, to love and what Jesus has to say about that. But in regards to John 13, again, I want to give context to what's happening in that as we, we read earlier. Foot washing. So Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And you might be thinking, well, that's like, that's, that's like the weird thing. But you'd probably think it's a cultural thing. And if you thought that, you were absolutely correct. It was actually back then a, a necessity for anyone coming into the house to, to wash their feet. Not that it isn't a necessity now. If you don't wash your feet, you should probably do so. Um, 
But culturally, that was the case, right? They, they wore sandals and they walked around muddy, dirty, dusty places, um, places that you know, weren't paved and nice roads as we have now. Which is why when you're kind of entering into someone's house, you, you wash your feet before you enter. And even sometimes at the front of the houses back then, they have this like pot looking thing and it's filled with water and it's for whoever's coming in to kind of wash their hands. It's similar to kind of taking your shoes off these days if you want to compare it to something, um, just out of respect. Um, and this pot left outside the door is, is usually a servant's job or someone um, of kind of low standing. It's a lowly job, didn't require much skill and it was not particularly an enjoyable task, which was done by a servant. Um, and culturally as well, they would eat reclining. So they kind of do this in the Middle East um, to this date in some places, they eat reclining. So they're not sitting upright as we are right now. They'd be reclining. So if you haven't washed your feet, you're likely to have someone's foot in your face or around your hands or whatever, and you're eating. So it's not a very pleasant uh, thing. And in verse 1, Jesus is, um, so that's, that's kind of a bit of the context. But in uh, verse 1, Jesus speaks about departing from the world. Um, and as we mentioned, he's being crucified tomorrow. So if you think about this, this might have been the perfect time for someone else of the disciples to step up and say, Jesus, as you mentioned, you're not going to be here with us. I'm going to wash your feet. Like, I'll do that for you. It's, it's kind of the last time we're all gathered together. Let me take it this time. But no one stepped up. And at this point, they were all well into the, the eating. They were all enjoying their time and everyone's eating with their dirty feet in each other's faces. Um, and to give us a little bit of further context, during this time, the, the disciples were actually having an argument about which of them was the greatest uh, they were comparing each other. And we, we find this out from the Gospel of Luke. And in the midst of their conversation, no one wanted that task of, of getting low. No one wanted that task where it didn't seem so pleasant. Because you see, as you think of yourself more, you become blinded to a potential opportunity to do something and bring someone else up. But what we see here is the greatest or, or a great description of the love of God. Not the greatest, but a great description. Because, you know, I can't imagine Jesus at that point, he might have been disappointed in, in the disciples. Like, guys, this is a normal thing that everyone does. Like, why didn't anyone step up? So I can understand if he was disappointed at that moment. But his love for his disciples never changed. They just weren't ready. First John three eighteen says, Dear children, let us not love with word or speech, but with action and in truth. Our actions are a manifestation of our love. Jesus here does what no one else wanted to do by coming low and washing uh, the disciples' feet. For a man to wash another man's feet, that is considered a small act of humility. But for the creator of the universe to wash the feet of um, proud, sinful men, that's an amazing act of humility. When Jesus um, got up, took out his uh, garments off, and he was kind of in his, if you imagine, like a Middle Eastern man, like his fanilla or like a singlet or whatever, um, and he was kind of ready to do the, the task 
of washing the disciples' feet. And, and, and I would imagine during this time, the disciples would have been like, what's Jesus is doing this low task? Like, no way. They, they kind of would have felt like this isn't right for Jesus to be doing this particular task. And it's kind of echoed in Peter's reaction towards Jesus that it must have been a real slap in the face when they saw Jesus kind of stand up and he's about to do this low um, act. And we'll um, look at Simon Peter when he says in verse 6, he says, Lord, do you wash my feet? So essentially he's stunned. He, he, he can't actually comprehend that Jesus, you're doing this for me. And then verse 7, Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. This was not only an example of how the followers of Jesus are to be, but it was also an example of the humility of Jesus, which is why he said, You do not understand. The disciples didn't understand what Jesus meant when he was, when he was saying, you know, I'm going to die and after three days I will be raised again. They couldn't comprehend what that meant. Peter did understand later, but in that particular moment, he didn't, and they all didn't understand. And that was his sort of continued, continued reaction on the same path. He says later, you shall not wash my feet. And in other words, he's saying there is no way, Jesus, you are doing this. Like, I'm not letting you wash my feet. And then Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So Simon Peter, he's going from one extreme to the other to you can't wash me. And then Jesus telling him, you know, if, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. And he's like, oh, my gosh, no way. Like, wash all of me, have all of me. Um, and what Jesus here is referring to, he's referring to spiritual cleansing. Um, not, not, not the physical cleansing, but although, again, wash your feet. But um, he's referring to the spiritual side of things. Um, and he's pretty much saying, Peter... You can't stop my humiliation. That's Jesus saying to him. You can't stop my humiliation. I'm going low from washing your feet all the way to the cross. All of that is humiliation for Christ. And Peter had to accept that humiliation for Christ for his own salvation because there is no redemption without the cross. The one who is not washed cannot be a Christian. And our acceptance of Christ is the acceptance of his death and resurrection and the acceptance of him being brought low to the point of death and washing sinners' feet, including ourselves. John fourteen six says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in verse 20 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Again, there is no salvation apart from Christ. And in John 13, verse 10, Jesus said to him, the one who was bathed, just continuing from the, from the conversation, the one who was bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. As Peter, this is probably one of the coolest moments to have Jesus literally told him, you are saved. Um, that is epic. Like, if, if I can sort of imagine Jesus telling me that, I would be like extremely overjoyed. And not that I doubt my own faith. It's not about that. But can you imagine the son of God himself in the flesh saying that directly like to you? That is epic, an epic thing to have said to you. And you might be thinking, well, how do I know if I'm personally saved? Well, 
You confess that Jesus is Lord, you love God, you obey his commands, and that you love one another. These are all signs of our salvation. See, as Christians, we have been saved. We have been bathed once and for all. But every day, we need to wash our feet. As we journey into the world, we pick up the sins of the world along the way, but we go on confessing and we are being cleansed of that by Jesus. And this is good news for us because the disciples who we read about and many times get frustrated with, they are saved, not all of them. And also we are saved and we need to confess our daily sins. I'm kind of going to explain this point in a little bit more detail because it can sometimes seem conflicting and contradicting in um, different areas of scripture. So some people will say that in the scripture, it says in, in 1 John 3, 9, it says this. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God, God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. And if we kind of read that as face value, like these two points that we just mentioned contradict each other. How does this make sense? Because clearly we all sin, right? But what we need to understand is that Jesus' sacrifice is once and for all. That's the you are saved concept. But we need daily application of God's cleansing. And that's the washing of our feet. The washing of the, of the body is the salvation which God accomplished on the cross. But the washing of feet is the daily sanctification process which Jesus does in our daily life. That's the confessing of our sins. We can't be representatives of Christ if we don't acknowledge we are sinful, broken people in front of him. But we are to be a people who actually acknowledge that we are totally clean, but are still in need of cleansing. And in the sight of God, even though we are sinners, we are clean. We are saved. But again, not all of us. Judas wasn't. And I'll get into Judas in a little bit. But continuing in verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Jesus here is saying, Yes. I am rightly above you, but I have gone below you in this instant and you should also do the same. He's setting an example. This is a lesson. This is an example to love like this, to love at the lowest level of someone else's need. And what we see here is that Jesus doesn't just go with the cultural flow of things. He's different. He's setting aside an example for all disciples of all times. And that example is for us to also adapt in our lives, to to, 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 to be different and appreciate, um, be appreciative of his character, but to also implement this difference in our lives. Because our, our love distinguished, um, I can't explain this, <laughs> but if, is your love, is our love, all of us, distinguished from our non-Christian friends, for example, right? That's, that's my question. Am I sort of unique in the way that I love? Am I, am I placed uh, or placing my love in the way Jesus showed me to love? Or am I kind of loving just those who love me? 
Because that's not biblical love, that's human love. And there's a difference between the two. That you love without um, barriers and regardless of what comes your way. Verse 16 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Jesus here is highlighting the, the difference between man and God and the, and the greatness between those two. He's saying, um, you have seen me, the son of God, doing these things. So we should also do these things in our lives. And it's important for us to highlight that the lesson that he taught his disciples was by loving them, not through a sermon. And what I want us to know is that we don't need more sermons. We need more um, action. We have, we have sermons. We have plenty of messages. We've heard this many, many times. But we need to put this into actions. As Christ representatives in the world, we are, te- we are to teach people to love by loving them. Moving to verse 18. I'm not speaking to all of you. I know whom I've chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. When Jesus said that, again, the room would have gone really quiet. But Jesus only sends out people who are fit to do the work. And our qualification for this service of love is humility. The disciples, not including Judas, are actually learning this lesson of humility as it goes on. And while Judas is listening to to the son of God's words, he's not acting on those things. And to kind of paint a clearer picture that resonates and sits closer to home um, of who Judas was. Judas was a church attendant who called himself a Christian, but is living a wicked life. He listened to the word of God directly from the son of God, but yet he betrays Jesus, who is the son of God. Hearing is not believing and attending church doesn't make us uh, a Christian. Kind of as, a, as I was reading this, I saw some like a pretty cool insight in this text. And it's in verse 19. He says, I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Jesus knew the future before the future even happened. And that kind of goes towards proof that Jesus is God and is the son of God, that he's divine, that he's unique. He says that you may know I am he. When he says I am he, he's referring to the son of God. And then nearly finished, but in verse 17, it says, if you know these things, I kind of jumped, but if it says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them question again for us we know these things these particularly aren't new biblical scriptures that or might be new to us but it's if you've been in church for a while this isn't particularly new but my question is we know them but do we do them because it tells us in that verse that this promise unlocks the blessing of god in our life and not the blessing of god in a prosperity sort of way um, but the true blessing of God. And how do we do that as Christians, right? We do it by loving without exception, by humbling ourselves even to the point of de- of death, just like the savior did. By putting others before ourselves and thinking of Christ more and thinking of ourselves less. And you might be here, you know, feeling tired, feeling overwhelmed, feeling down, but I just want to encourage you that 
The creator of the universe knows you. If, you. if you call yourself a Christian and that you believe in God, the creator of the universe knows you. That he knew you and chose you before the foundations of the earth. That he called you from darkness and into light. That you are justified before him. That in his sight you are clean and you are a child of God. And lastly, for all of us, we are representatives of Christ. We are all ministers. Ministers aren't just people who earned a degree and they stand on the podium. No, ministers are every single Christian. We are all that. And let the encouragement be for all of us to go low. To go low because Jesus went low. And to, to go low because we have a desire of loving God and wanting to be like our Savior who we want to represent to the rest of the world. Go low because Jesus did. Go low because it's the most satisfying life you can have. And go low because you are clean in the sight of God. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you, Lord, for the time that we just had. We pray, Lord, as we read, we want to firstly thank you, Lord, that we are clean. That you've... You've bathed us, Lord, but we just need uh, the washing of our feet, Lord. And we pray that as we journey with you, that we confess our sins to you, Lord, and that you, um, that you continue to be with us in every aspect of every day, Lord. We thank you that you are good. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for this example that you have shown us, Lord, what our lives are supposed to be. Uh, we pray, Lord, that we go low, that we go lower than others and lift them up that we follow the example that you have set for us, Lord. We pray, Lord, that we are encouraged. We pray that as we go into our, our lives and in our um, walks, that we are reminded of this, Lord, of this um, amazing act um, of your greatness, Lord. We thank you for the time that we just had. And, um, yeah, we pray for the rest of the night. In your name we pray. Amen.